this is such a such a fundamental thing. The emergency fund is such a fundamental aspect of our finances. And yeah, I, I hope that I hope that more Americans can kind of get it in their in their mind that they should deny themselves now for the purpose of setting themselves up for a better financial future. The first step in that being their emergency fund. Welcome back for another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. My name is Dallas Post and I am your host. As you know, I believe empowerment comes through knowledge, so my purpose here is to inform, educate, and stimulate thought within personal finance, economics, and investing. You can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search The Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. All right, so in today's episode, I'm thinking about one of the first building blocks to getting out of financial slavery and not living paycheck to paycheck is building an emergency fund. So today we're going to talk about the value of building an emergency fund and how you can start to do that. It's actually not as intimidating as you think. If you haven't started one, getting started is actually pretty simple. At my church, I'm actually on a team that provides financial counseling to um, people, uh, not just church members, but really anyone who's interested in getting some basic financial help. The leader of the team is Corey Mizell who is also a financial advisor at Valued Retirements here in Houston. Thanks for having me, Dallas. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I just wanted to give you a platform to share with the audience about emergency funds and how you go about doing it, all that kind of stuff. So, But start us off with your background and personal philosophy on finances and that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. So... I have been a financial planner now in some capacity for a little, a little over a decade. My background is training through Crown Financial Ministries. That was kind of my first introduction to financial planning. Really good concepts and precepts for how to, how to structure your finances as an individual or as family. That has transitioned into my work at Houston's First. Sarah, my wife, and I have been the directors of the financial consulting ministry now since uh, since 2010 and we have been slowly walking toward turning our ministry into our vocation so about three and a half almost four years ago now we became part owners in valued retirements and now we're transitioning with our business partner to run the business and and to serve our clients well so that's kind of my background, my education. I'm actually trained as a, as a chemical engineer, but I have my MBA. But you just wanted some more fun with numbers. Huh? That's right. That's right. Just more, more fun with numbers. So, or you just wanted to stick to the basic math of a personal yeah, yeah. <laughs> Multiply, divide, add, subtract. Yeah, that's good stuff. So I've taken that analytical approach and helping to teach people wise financial principles. And really, my philosophy on financial planning is, is very simple spend less than you make over a long period of time and you have a chance at financial freedom later in life. Yeah. The image that I always think of and and try to convey to people is the water bucket. You've got the water coming in and if you have a hole in the bottom, you've got water going out. If water isn't coming in faster than it's pouring out of the hole, it's never going to fill up the bucket. It's just unsustainable to be spending more than you make or to make less than you spend kind of thing. If you think about it, it doesn't work. Absolutely. And every dollar or every expense is just another hole or making making the hole larger in the bucket. So yeah, you make a good point. 
So then what is an emergency fund and why is it valuable? Good question. So I went on one of my favorite websites, Investopedia, which is just great, a great resource. They actually have a, a pretty succinct definition of an emergency fund. An emergency fund is an account for funds set aside in case of the event of personal financial dilemma, such as the loss of a job, a debilitating illness, or a major repair to your home. The purpose of the fund is to improve financial security by creating a safety net of funds that can be used to meet emergency expenses, as well as reduce the need to draw from high interest debt options such as credit cards. So that's the definition from Investopedia. My take on the value of it is twofold. First, an emergency fund can keep you on track with your financial plan in the case of loss of income or other uh, personal financial dilemma, as, as Investopedia says. Building and executing a financial plan is, is difficult enough, and being derailed by an unexpected, a large unexpected cost or a loss of job makes it that much harder to get back on track. So that's the first value I see in it. Second, it balances the risks that you take in other aspects of your financial life. So for instance, investing without an emergency fund, I think, I think is unwise because that money is necessarily put at risk so that it has the opportunity to grow. And if you have nothing to counterbalance that, no funds that are mitigating that risk, basically giving you more financial security, then it's just a bad situation to be in. So twofold value. First, keeps you on track in case of setback. And second, it balances the risks in other areas of your financial life. So we're talking about cash that's being set aside that you're not even thinking of as money in your checking account, although it could be in a checking account, but not money that you even plan on spending on expenses or anything. This is money you're setting aside, right? Absolutely. It's only meant for emergencies. It's almost like the bank, how they keep reserves in the bank, and they, they have their emergency reserves there, and they're not supposed to touch it except in an emergency, and then, then they can use it. The key thing to me about an emergency fund in trying to have one is that the money or the assets, whatever it is, has to be very accessible and liquid, that it's not, uh, like you said, tied up in stocks that might be depressed if the economy crashes or whatever, and you're not wanting to sell them at a depreciated price. So if you have some emergency that comes up, like some big medical bill, let's take the example, if you didn't have an emergency fund, so you're living paycheck to paycheck every month, and your car breaks down, mm. and that's the car that you use to get to work, Yeah. then all of a sudden you, you take it to the mechanic, and they say, oh, um, it's Saturday, and you need your car done, ready for like Monday to go to work. That's going to cost you three grand to fix the engine and everything. Right. And you, you're living paycheck to the paycheck. That puts you in a huge bind. It does. And, and maybe you're thinking, like, my only option here is to load up and put that on my credit card, and I'm not going to be able to pay that off. And then you start start down a debt spiral, accruing 15, 20% interest on your credit card because you didn't have any money to pay for that car repair. And that is not a spot you want to be in. No. Actually, interesting fact, the number one cause uh, or the number one instigating factor for bankruptcy in the United States is a car repair. Is that right? Yeah. I, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it's it's really serious. And, and and these are things that we have to plan for. And that's why it's it's really key that you have 
have this fund set aside to cover things like that. So just in practical terms, it depends on the person, like what's tempting. Like if you can handle and manage your own money without being tempted to spend it, you could just have the, like your quote unquote emergency fund could just be your savings account in your bank account. Sure. As long as you're not tempted to spend it. But if you're tempted to spend it, you got to put it a little bit further outside your daily viewing or something. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the things that I think is wise is that it's not immediately accessible. So within the next, you know, hour to 24 hours, I think it's wise. You want to put it somewhere where you can get to it within 24 to 48 hours, because usually even if you have a major life emergency, the likelihood that you're going to need it in the next five minutes is, is very low usually within 24 to 48 hours. So what that means is holding it at, at a different financial institution than where you run your family finances out of your checking account. So for instance, Sarah and I, we have our checking account at a, at a large national bank. And then our emergency fund is at an internet bank that is completely separate. So we don't, we never see it. Like you say, it reduces the temptation to uh, dip into it for things that are not that are not emergencies. Right, right. You know, the newest release of some phone or something or some gadget is not an not an emergency. Yeah, yeah. I guess your point there is just that if it takes like 24 hours or something to access the funds, then that can help you just get by that like little emotional ping you have while you're walking through the mall or on Amazon or something that it's like, oh, I really want this new phone or. But if you have to like wait for a few minutes, you're like, okay, maybe I don't actually need that. That's right. All right. So then how big should an emergency fund be and, and why? Like what's the thinking there? Yeah, good question. And uh, I'm sure if other financial professionals listen to this podcast, they'll have their own opinion as well. So there's a lot of differing opinions, but some consensus, I would say. And what it really boils down to is the expected duration of an unemployment. Okay. So that, that's kind of how the, I would say the industry has come up with, with a number. The number is somewhere between three and six months worth of what I will call core expenses. So how do we arrive at the three to six month number? Well, according to the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average length of unemployment as of March, 2018. So this is today or last month is 24.1 weeks or about five and a half months. So that's the average length of unemployment. Is that right? That's correct. I just checked the BLS today. Man, that's, that sounds crazy. Yeah. 24.1 weeks is the average, uh, which is about five and a half months. It might seem like a long time. Like that seems like a really uh, elongated unemployment, right? But if you think about it in the context of our current economy, it's actually relatively short. Why do I say that? Well, right now, according to the, the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, unemployment stands at 4.1%, okay, which is actually below the long-term unemployment rate from the Congressional Budget Office of about four and three quarter, five percent So what, is that, what does that mean in plain English? It means that right now should be one of the easiest times in history to get a job. And if we're saying, okay, it's actually going to take you five and a half, almost six months to get a job on average, then going forward, it could take even longer as unemployment rates change. So now that's an average. Does that mean that 
if you have a highly marketable skill in a, in a sign after industry, that's going to take you six months to get a new job. No, no, that that's not what that means. But uh, this is just, we're talking in averages here. Okay. So we're saying roughly like three to six months of core living expenses and core roughly meaning just like not all these shopping expenditures and things that you don't really need or that you could cut if you had to. That's a great question. A really easy way to think about core expenses is your take-home pay minus any saving or charitable giving that you're doing out of that take-home pay. Does that make sense? So, you know, say I take home $2,000 a month, just say my pay is $2,500 a month or something. I take home $2,000 a month after taxes and all the deductions from my employer out of my paycheck. And maybe even my, you know, if I'm contributing to a deferred retirement plan like a 401k, maybe that comes out before my take-home pay. So now my $2,000 a month, I have to spend on food, clothing, shelter, entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if I lose my job, the two things that I'm going to stop doing is I'm going to stop saving and I'm going to stop giving because uh, I'm no longer receiving an income and I have to live off of my savings. Hopefully I have savings. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, so... So core expenses are simply your take-home pay minus charitable contributions and any savings that you have coming out of that. Now, to your point, you'll be able to cut additional things. So you might find that while you're unemployed, you have less less expenses, right? So you're no longer having to wear business professional, for instance, and so you don't have as big of a dry cleaning bill. You don't have to worry as much about transportation because you're not driving to your job regularly. So your what you pay for your tolls and gas and you know oil changes and whatever those things might be less too. So you'll find that there are areas that you could cut. And then of course, like you had mentioned, you know things that are not food, clothing, shelter necessities. Cut your Netflix, your ten dollars a month, and uh, your entertainment budget. So yeah, that's what I mean by core expenses. Yeah. So it's funny, I was also looking at the BLS statistics on some different things. So the 50th percentile of, of what the, uh, we're saying, like the average American spends per month, they're saying is $3,500 a month, which comes out to 42000 a year. But if you do the math on that, if you spend $3,500 a month, and we're saying three to six months worth of expenses for your emergency fund, we're talking potentially ten to 20000 in an emergency fund. So that that's uh, the, the rough math on what I'm thinking of in terms of the amount that you're targeting for your emergency fund. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another aspect of, of the size of your emergency fund has to do with your number of incomes in your household, right? If you have two income earners in a household, you can probably skew toward the lower end, you know, three, maybe four months. You won't be sorry if you lose your job and have six months saved, right? But uh, if you have two incomes, your risk that both of you will be unemployed at the same time is is smaller than either one of you being unemployed at, at a given time. So we say you could skew lower, but you know, aiming for six months uh, is probably probably a good target. That's a good point, and it just speaks to the general financial principle of risk diversification. Yeah. So that you have eggs in different baskets and one egg breaks, but you still got another and that kind of thing. Absolutely. I also saw from a FINRA stat just saying that uh, half of Americans don't have that three to six months of emergency expenses. 
that means that a lot of people are open to financial problems if we go into another recession anytime soon. So I would love to see more people building up an emergency fund just to prepare in case the economy doesn't continue to just be rosy forever. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Going forward, I would hope that, that that ratio increases. It's always surprising to me how little it takes to push people over the edge, you know, in their financial security, right. like that car repair that I was talking about uh, resulting in bankruptcy. This is such a, such a fundamental thing. The emergency fund is such a fundamental aspect of our finances. And yeah, I, I hope that, I hope that more Americans can kind of get it in their, in their mind that they should deny themselves now for the purpose of setting themselves up for a better financial future. The first step in that being their emergency fund. So it's funny, I'm recalling a story that I think I spoke with your wife on the last podcast that we did about how there was an experiment done of kids and they gave them a marshmallow and they said, if you leave this marshmallow here, when I come back in two minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. Yeah. And they would leave the room. Yep. And most of the kids would just eat the first marshmallow and like they couldn't restrain themselves. Even though they were told, like, in two minutes, you'll get two, so just wait. Right. <laughs> but apparently, they did the study and then tracked these kids later on in life, and the ones that were able to deny themselves and wait and had patience for things actually had a lot more benefits that they accrued throughout like their personal life and career, ostensibly, because of that principle. Yeah, the ability to deny yourself. It's huge. And as humans, just as, as humans in general, not just Americans, we're bad at discounting the future. So it's very hard to conceptualize yourself 10 years from now or even 10 minutes from now in some, in some cases. But it's hard to conceptualize yourself in retirement, for instance. So why do people not save for retirement? Well, they can't cognitively understand what it's going to mean to have to eat beans and rice and work as a Walmart greeter for, <laughs> I mean, or drive an Uber or whatever yeah. um, in retirement. They, they can't bring that forward to present day and, and understand if I do this, then, then that will happen. There's no cause and effect. We're very bad cognitively. There's a lot of like psychological research that shows we're very bad cognitively at discounting the future. So yeah, these kids that can't wait two minutes to get to basically get a hundred percent return on their on their marshmallow. It's a perfect it's a perfect illustration. It's funny as you're saying that I'm just thinking that we as humans pride ourselves in our higher level thinking, mm -hmm. but here and now only thinking just makes me think of like how animals will just act completely based on their instincts. Animals is just responding to their immediate stimuli and their instinct. They're not able to cognitively like discount the future. Yeah, exactly. And we pride ourselves in our, our higher level thinking and our ability to do that. And yet we struggle to do that so often. Right. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> fascinating. Okay, so last question that I wanted to ask, just to put this uh, again a little bit more in t tangible terms for people. How can people start building an emergency fund? If someone listening finds themselves in a position right now that they're like, okay, this sounds like a good idea. Like I should be building some savings, but if I could, I would. Like I, I don't have any money. Like I, I'm stuck paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, great question. Something that I tell people a lot, and this is really effective because uh, the brand is kind of omnipresent 
So you see it, you see it a lot and it kind of cues back in your mind. So you think, think about Nike. You just do it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is, that is the best way that I can explain to people, you know, a concept like having an emergency fund or other financial principles is you have to, you have to sit down and decide that you're going to make a change and then just do it. And so how practically, what does that look like? I know it seems simplistic, but once you've changed your mindset, then you can start to set goals because you've decided that you're going to prioritize. You're going to give something else a higher priority than this other thing that maybe you weren't thinking about and kind of doing as a matter of course. You're being more purposeful. So how do you be more purposeful and set goals? Well, you you set what are called SMART goals. So a SMART goal is a goal that is specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. So specific that's where the three to six months you come up with a number, you know, figure out what your core expenses are, you know, take home pay minus giving and savings times just say six months. And you come up with that number. It's somewhere probably for most people, uh, according to the BLS, it's going to be somewhere between 10 and $20,000. So you say, okay, I'm going to save $20,000. And that's also measurable because it's a dollar amount. Achievable. Okay. Well, this should be achievable because it's, it's a multiple of your income. It may take a long time to get there, but, but it should be achievable. Relevant. So this goes back to the conversation we were just having about cognitive dissonance between our current self and our future self. So you've now decided if you've gotten to this point of setting the goal, you've decided that having an emergency fund or, or implementing, um, implementing an emergency fund in your finances is relevant to your life, basically. And then time bound, you're going to decide by when do you want to achieve this goal. And, and a really easy uh, financial goals are, are great because you can just take the number and divide by whatever number of days, weeks, months, whatever makes sense, and then figure out, okay, here's what I need to save to achieve it in six months, in a year, in two years, in five years. And then take those little bite-sized chunks every time you get a paycheck and you just start chipping away at it. So. Yeah. So the example I'm thinking of is that if you say, okay, I want to build an emergency fund and I want to save $10,000 in that fund. If I can save a thousand bucks a year, it's going to take me a while to get there. So I need to save a bit more than that. So maybe I want to be saving 5,000 a year. And then in two years, I'll have that full fund funded, you could say. And then you break that down to the months and, okay, what do I need to do to balance my income and my spending to make that happen? And you just start to get more specific with exactly what it is, the behavior that is required for you to get to that achievement. Absolutely. And something that can really help you is, is what I would call seed money. So you can set your goal, but it really gives you a, a boost mentally to see the fund grow in chunks, right? One way you can do that, this is a really great time for this podcast air because it's very relevant to its tax, its tax season. We all just filed our taxes on April 17th. So it's been about a week and uh, hopefully we haven't all spent our return yet. If you got one. Although I will just insert right here that unfortunately I hear that a lot of used car dealers, it's like their best time of year is like right around now. Exactly. Exactly. So instead of buying a used car, don't do that. <laughs> Go out and, and take your tax return and use it as a, as a seed for your emergency fund. Let's just say you got a couple thousand dollars, $2,000, $3,000 on your tax return. 
take you know half of it, three quarters of it, and use that as as the seed money for your emergency fund. Other times where you could potentially have some seed money is your if you have a yearly performance bonus at your work. If you receive an inheritance from, you know, aunt, uncle, parent, whatever, or a yearly gift, like if, if your parents are doing some estate planning and they're giving you a tax-free gift every year to reduce their estate, use that to build your emergency fund. Don't live on it. Don't spend it. <laughs> use it for the long term. Or another way is uh, by taking the proceeds from the sale of an appreciating asset. So say you were blessed with having your home appreciate significantly and uh, you sell your home and you're going to move to another home. Well, take a portion of the proceeds from the sale and use that to seed your emergency fund. And I can just tell you that Sarah and I, as we've received you know, performance bonuses and these things like I'm talking about over the years, by putting them away and not spending them on toys or junk or whatever we, what we would have spent them on if we hadn't been purposeful, it's been a really big benefit to our family and to our finances because we were able to build these pillars of a sound financial life. So you're saying any sources of irregular income where you just had like have some cash come in, that is a great opportunity to use that money to start your emergency fund because you don't normally depend on that money anyway. Right. So it's, it's just easy that before you spend it or tempted to spend it, then you can just put it away to that emergency fund. Exactly. The one other thing in terms of strategy for building an emergency fund that I was thinking of is that like the government takes their taxes straight out of your paycheck. Like yes. they don't wait till you've spent all your money on your, your living expenses to come at April 15th and say, pay me all your expense, all your taxes for right. 2017. If they did that, they wouldn't get their money. So in the same way that if you want to save for your emergency fund, instead of waiting till you've spent all your money on your expenses, maybe your strategy would be to slowly scale up like, okay, I'm going to put 50 or 100 bucks right away out of my paycheck and send it to my emergency fund. So I don't even see it. So I don't have that option to be spending it on my expenses. Now, I think obviously you got to pair that with knowing where your expenses are at, like and not accruing more credit card debt or anything like that. But my point is, it's just kind of like that first fruits thing in like, if you're setting aside money right away for giving before you're even like thinking about your expenses too, right out of the first money that you're getting, you're already setting aside. So it's not even a temptation for you to be spending it. So I, I think those are some practical ways that you can just be thinking about it and it'll help you convert to going from like, I can't do this to somehow it's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So where can people find more information about you? Yeah. So you can look us up on valuedretirements.com. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Yeah. Thanks so much. I think this information about emergency funds is, is really relevant for all of us. So thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan podcast.